Hello and welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about why it's important for parents to consider how their child makes friends. In my role as a therapist, I share with the youth that I work with that it's a good idea to be mindful of what makes up that initial connection with their friends. What is the category that connects, the bridge that binds, the topic that ties? And on this topic of making new friends, I share with the people I work with the three D's of don't. These D's are the things that you don't want to use as the way to lead the way when it comes to making new friends. And the three D's of don't are drama, drugs, and diagnoses. When you think about it, our initial connection to others will usually come in the form of what we have in common. And I like to say that this initial interest or issue usually becomes the connective tissue. And what I've seen in the last decade or so is that many young people will lead with, advertise, display, demonstrate, or disclose one or more of those D's when meeting new people. And because belonging to a peer group can feel so essential for our youth, even to the point where it can feel like a matter of life and death, because of this, what can often occur is that our youth will choose membership over morality, selection over sobriety, or inclusion over self-improvement. To make this more understandable, here's an example. Let's say there's a teenager who struggles to make new friends, but eventually they meet a classmate of theirs and they become fast friends because they both have depression, they hate school, and use drugs to deal. That example there has two of the three D's of don't. And you may be thinking, well, shouldn't it be seen as just a positive when somebody makes a new friend? And to that, I would say, not entirely. Because the positives that that friendship provides could prove to be limiting and detrimental for that teenager due to what the friendship is founded on. And that's because belonging may require having certain negative beliefs or the practice of unhealthy behaviors. And if that's the case, that could end up being emotionally or physically harmful for the individual. And before I go any further, I want to be very clear about something. And that is, I want to acknowledge and appreciate that one of the many great things about this generation, this current generation of young people, is that they tend to be way more open and honest about mental illness than any generation that has come before. And on that, my point is not that our young people shouldn't share their difficulties, differences, or diagnoses with each other, but instead, it's my opinion that these things shouldn't be what they lead with. What's another way to say that? Um, it... It shouldn't be the primary, the main, or initial commonality that is used to connect with others. When I'm discussing this with youth, I say this to make a little more sense of it. I say that the introduction you give to others shouldn't be, Hello, I'm Anxious Andy. Or, Nice to meet you. I'm Depressed Dan. And I share that in sort of a provocative way, but the thing I want to do is I want to get across the point that even though you may have a diagnosis, that diagnosis does not define you. 
Don't allow yourself or anyone else to use a diagnosis as the sole or primary lens that is used to represent who you are. Make it a part of your story, not the title of your story. When someone leads with their diagnosis, not only can it limit how others view you, but for the individual, it can be difficult to move away from, manage, or to overcome the thing that initially brought you together. Here's another example, which is a actual and not a hypothetical. I remember working with this young woman years and years ago, and a few months after we had started meeting on one particular day, I went out into the waiting room to invite her in for our counseling session, and I knew immediately it was quite obvious that she was in a really good mood. And up until that day, every previous time we had met, she had walked into my office with either a, a sullen or somber type of energy. So when I witnessed her elevated and excited state, I too was excited, excited to hear about what happened in the past week to bring about this positive and drastic change. So I said to her, you seem really happy today. Is there a reason for this new and positive energy? She smiled and said, I met a boy. So I said, that's great. Tell me about it. How the two of you meet? And then she said that she had met this guy and they just really hit it off. They clicked right away and that it's been going so well that now they're dating. In response to that, I said, I'm probably sounding a lot like my mom. Well, that's exciting. And then I went on to ask her what she found so appealing about this guy initially. This is when she paused, thought about it for a moment, and then said, oh yeah, it was because he was sad. And that's when I went from excited to a bit uneasy. So I tried to clarify things a bit by saying, okay, all right, um, let me get this straight. The thing you found most appealing or attractive about this dude was the fact that he was sad? And she said, yeah. When I saw him sitting there, it was obvious that he was really sad. So I went up to him and he told me that, yes, in fact, he is very sad. And not only that, he has depression. So I told him that I have depression too. So at that point, I was having a bit of a yikes moment. I tried to gather myself and I said, how long did it take for the two of you to share that both of you have depression? And she was a bit confused about my question. But she did respond, and she said, it's the first thing we talked about, and it's pretty much all we talked about. And then she looked at me and said, isn't that great? So I spent the remainder of our session that day giving a response that could be summarized as, well, sort of. During that session, I wanted to be sure to celebrate the connection, but also discuss the possible downside of depression being the foundation for friendship or in this case, the foundation of a romantic relationship. The conversation about this D of don't is a bit trickier than the others, but I believe it's worthwhile to explore how the diagnosis is being described or discussed. Because if your child becomes friends with someone because they both have depression, or maybe an anxiety disorder, this can be and should be seen as a great thing. If, and a huge if here, that is, if the connection or the conversation focuses on what they do to manage their depression or anxiety, and plenty of attention is given to the things that they do to feel better, and the ways that they are able to not allow, not allow their anxiety or depression to call the shots in their life. If that's what's going on, 
then that can be seen as a great way to form and build a relationship. But in my experience, over the last 13 years of working with youth, this usually isn't the way diagnoses are discussed between young people. Now, sometimes it is, but I think that's more the exception than it is the rule. What I witness much more is that diagnoses are talked about in a way that focuses on the difficulties, the suffering, and an inability to manage or overcome them. On the topic of diagnoses, Irv Yalom, who in my opinion is the uh, greatest living psychotherapist, he says this, a diagnosis limits vision. It diminishes the ability to relate to the other as a person. Once we make a diagnosis, we tend to selectively inattend to the aspects of the person which do not fit into that particular diagnosis. And we will correspondingly over-attend to subtle features which appear to confirm the diagnosis. What's more, a diagnosis may act as a self-fulfilling prophecy relating to a person as a borderline or a hysteric. This may serve to stimulate and perpetuate those very traits. End of quote. So, if you're a parent of a child that has a mental health diagnosis, I encourage you to have a thoughtful and curious conversation with your child about when and how they talk about their diagnosis when meeting new people. So many times, more times than I think you could imagine, I have seen young people avoid or resist getting better because they don't want to lose the commonality that created and sustains their friendships. Additionally, I have seen young people who are actually getting better, but they avoid sharing their improvement with their friends out of worry about how that would be viewed and also out of a fear that by sharing their improvement, their growth, their strength, by doing this, they may lose a close friend in the process. All right, so that was just one of the D's of don't. But I do feel that the topic of diagnoses deserved a more detailed description than the others. But now, moving on. Up next, drama. And here's my favorite quote on drama. A printout of this has been up in my office for years. But here's a quote. Drama does not just walk into your life. Either you create it, invite it, or associate with it. End of quote. I just love that quote so much because people will rarely, if ever, admit that they're the ones who are creating the drama. And they'll definitely deny inviting it because that would mean they, they like it, want it, maybe even need it. But where you can usually get someone to step into some form of accountability for all the drama in their life is the acknowledgement that they do, in fact, associate with it. So this is why I encourage young people to not form friendships that are created or associated with some form of drama. Because I think you would agree, the people we meet who are quick, so quick to share the drama in their life, who also say they're so sick and tired of all the drama. I don't know about you, but it seems to be the case that for many of these people, they frequently or continuously find themselves involved with and consumed by all the drama in their life. The drama that they so badly wish would just go away. When this happens, what's often the case is that the drama isn't so much a, a random occurrence, but it's actually more about the fact that drama is a part of that person's identity. And this identity can be described as being chaos-driven. And that identity 
isn't one that anyone, and especially our youth, should be using to drive the formation of friendship. And to wrap up this D of drama, a quote from Cheryl Richardson, just because some people are fueled by drama doesn't mean you have to attend the performance. That's another favorite of mine, another favorite quote when talking with youth about this D of don't. And last, but certainly not least, the third D of don'ts, drugs. Now, the reason why this D is a don't is probably way more obvious than the others, but it happens so frequently that I always include it. When a young person finds connection, finds their tribe with the aid of and appreciation for a certain drug, all types of detrimental and damaging outcomes occur. The substance of a friendship should not be a substance because, let's imagine, what happens when a young person realizes just how harmful their usage is, but their usage is the thing that created and maintains their membership. It's that connective tissue and the most active of activities that are acted on with their friends. When that is the case, that young person is forced to make a difficult decision that no one should ever be forced to make, which is reduce or remove the drug usage or reduce, remove, or lose their membership in that friend group. I remember, because of how important that membership is, even when a young person knows that their usage is detrimental and damaging to their physical and emotional health, they may choose to remain selected rather than move towards sobriety. And I've seen this all too often. And it's just really sad when someone's friends can best be described as their drinking buddies, their smoke break buddies, or their pot pals. I don't think anyone has ever said that last one, but I think you get the point. All right. So those were the three D's of don't. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, I encourage you to not only use these three D's of don't as a way to look at the creation and quality of your child's friendships, but I also want to recommend that you have a conversation with your child, if they're open to it, about how important it is that they're fully aware of how they're forming and sustaining their friendships. Just an idea. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but also think about and share with your kids the do's of connection. Would you look at that? I've been so focused on the don'ts that it's taken this long to mention the do's. How very deficit-based of me. My apologies. But here are some of the do's of connection to consider and encourage. Shared positive interests. Hobbies that they enjoy. Pro-social activities. Sports. Shared love of the arts. Their passion for volunteering or activism. Their interest and involvement in band, debate, speech, STEM, or drama. And to be clear, that's the, uh, uh, the drama that's followed by the word club. That's the one designed for students interested in learning more about the aspects of theater. And not the one designed by people who are fueled by having drama in their life. Remember, those are the performances we all should avoid attending. And to close, I also want to mention that it's important for our youth to know that while commonality is often what creates that initial connection, it is actually our differences that deepen the connection and create and cultivate a truly meaningful relationship. I think James Frederick said it well when he said, much of the vitality in a friendship lies in the honoring of differences, not simply in the enjoyment 
of similarities. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website, perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective, the number four, parents.com. Thanks again.